This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Savor. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today, we're talking about birthday cake. No lie. Mm-hmm. Nope. This episode goes out to three of my closest friends, Caitlin, Katie, and Marissa. Oh, hi. Yeah, hello. These ladies are extraordinary friends. We've been together since before elementary school. Oh, wow. Yeah. And twice a year, we do trips together, and they literally brought tears to my eyes when I crossed the finish line of my last race, and they were all there with amazing signs. They're so supportive. I value their friendship. And they all have birthdays within a month of each other. Oh, wow. Including one that, as this podcast releases the day of, it is her birthday today. So, happy birthday to all of you. Yes. And also, after we got that listener mail about slitting the cake's throat while children scream. We were like, oh, we we want to talk about this. <laughs> that was so great. Um, do you have a cake preference, Lauren? Oh, uh, I love a cake. Um, there's something about, like, the springy texture and the contrast of that with, like, the creamy frosting and the nostalgia factor. I, I feel like my entire childhood was just a series of kids' birthday parties. Um with that giant sheet cake from grocery stores. Oh, goodness. Um, My preference, even when I was a kid, actually, has always run towards less sweet, like, German-style desserts, like a soccer tort, which my dad used to make um, as a chocolate layer cake with apricot filling and chocolate ganache. And it was almost bitter. It was so good. But I have a hard time turning down any cake. Yeah, I don't know. Something about, like, 
ice rinks and sheet cake just puts me in a good mood. We are coming up with the song titles today. <laughs> ice rinks and sheet cakes. Again, if you have written this song, or if it needs to be written, right? Then take free, the, free title. Yes, and then send it to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dessert wise, for me, cakes are at the lower end of my tier. Okay, but. I am a big fan of the spectacle cake. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, you are. I've yes. seen you make at least one of these. Yes. I like making an exploding volcano cake for the Volcano Pompeii, which happened on the same day I was born, just like many, many years ago. <laughs> well, sure. Yes. <laughs> not like this. I, not, I not mean, I'm not a vampire same. or anything like that. So um, you say? Not a vampire. <laughs> Other monsters have immortal <laughs> qualities too, Lauren. <laughs> Um, And my most memorable cake is actually one I made for one of my aforementioned friends, Katie. And it was just a rainbow bun cake, but I don't think she was expecting it. And it just became this really meaningful thing. And it actually snowed in Georgia, which was a huge deal. And uh, I made a a stairway ramp that went into another snow ramp that went down a hill into another ramp. And I convinced my parents this was safe using the old, they did it in home alone defense. (laughs) And this actually worked. (laughs) How old were you? I was like nine. Oh, my goodness. I remember my dad, he was like, just because they do it in movies, I don't think that's a good idea. My mom kind of thought about it for a minute. She's like, yeah, they did do it in that movie, didn't they? (laughs) (laughs) And it worked. But she, my mom did make me go first. And then (laughs) when it was successful, then she let Katie go. Um, And then I have another friend who we celebrate joint birthdays together. And her mom is like a really good baker, and um, she made a Spongebob-themed pineapple cake. Oh. That was pretty... That's beautiful. It looked like a pineapple. had figurines on it. I was in college. I'm not ashamed. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, let's get to our question. Birthday cakes. What are they? Well, um, it's a cake you have to celebrate someone's birthday. Makes sense. That's not always the case. Oh, well, okay. It's also a flavor. Um, And I suppose that any cake can be a birthday cake or even anything that you shape like a cake. But the American concept is a two-layer cake with some kind of filling between the layers and some kind of icing to cover it. Um, You put tiny candles on it, and you light them, and you sing happy birthday to the celebrant, and they blow the candles out. And then you slice and distribute the cake to the partygoers. And... I guess I'd never really thought about it before, but as I was writing that out, I was like, this is heckin' weird. It's pretty strange. Why do we do this? Uh, Well, we'll get to that later. (laughs) We will. Uh, First, let's talk about nutrition. (laughs) It's like the number one health food, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's how I started my New Year's (laughs) stuffy cake in my mouth. Uh. Hey, that's a valid life decision. It's all about balance. Um, According to the internet, a serving of yellow cake with chocolate frosting is one-eighth of an 18-ounce cake equaling out to 64 grams per slice. That slice contains about 20% of your daily recommended intake of fat, 25 grams of sugar, and basically nothing of value. Um, I mean, there's like two grams of protein in there. Um, There's some iron. There's some value in the happiness that you get from sharing. <laughs> Nothing of nutritional value. Nothing that your body can turn into, like, stuff that you need for your body. Unless it's a Monsters, Inc. situation <laughs> where you can take the energy from happiness and convert that into actual energy. 
I haven't done the research on it. <laughs> um, I just know that that <laughs> seems to be what's happening in Monsters, Inc. I'll call Sully, see if they've got any research on that. Uh, yes. Oh, I almost went on a whole Pixar <laughs> unified universe tangent. <laughs> All right. Anyway, okay. Numbers. There are around a million types of cake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that is that a approximate approximate <laughs> number? Anything you can imagine can be and has been a flavor of cake, just about. But here are a few uh, notable mentions. We'll say okay. Yet. Brooklyn Blackout Cake, named after the post-Pearl Harbor blackout drills in Brooklyn. What? Yeah, I'd never heard of that. German Forest Cake, Gooey Butter Cake, which is a cake I made the mistake of making for someone, and now they want it every year. Um, Moravian Sugar Cake, a potato cake courtesy of the Moravian immigrants in North Carolina. Enslaved people in the South made some of the most creative and innovative cake recipes, incorporating ingredients like coconut. Oh, yeah, coconut cake, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Chase Leche's Cake. The German blackberry jam cake, complete with a year-old jar of jam and saved for Christmas. Cowboy cake, made with cooked-down raisins. And, of course, mayo cake. Oh, I've never had a mayo cake, and I'm still—I mean, I like the tang of, like, sour cream in a cake. Yeah, a listener sent us a recipe for mayo cake, and um, despite my intense dislike of mayo, I do think I would like it. Because, I mean, it's just—it's more for, like— yeah, Plus, texture. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like putting pudding in a cake. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Birthday cake, however, is, as mentioned before, a flavor unto itself now, um, by which people seem to have spontaneously agreed that birthday cake is vanilla cake with vanilla frosting and maybe like raspberry filling and probably sprinkles. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how and why everyone simultaneously decided this. I think it must be a, like, sensory, it's very pretty thing, kind of like how pizza, it's always pepperoni and cheese. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because I my favorite cake is definitely chocolate, but it's not as, like, visually, yeah. it's just, like, funfetti-flavored. Sure. But we'll get into funfetti Oh, later. we will. <laughs> oh, we will. We will. But so during the height of the birthday cake flavor, Madness, which we might still be in, I'm not sure. Uh, birthday cake flavored Krispy Kremes and Oreos and Jelly Belly Jelly Beans and Flips candy coated pretzels and Peeps and Three Musketeers bars and M and M's and Airheads and Red Vines. Birthday cake tea, it's rooibos and herbs and sprinkles. Um, birthday cake vodka, it's a perhaps surprisingly popular flavor for nutrition bars and whey protein. Yeah. Birthday cake yogurt and ice cream and frozen drinks. Birthday cake popcorn. It's coated in cake batter-infused white chocolate and, again, topped with sprinkles. Marie Callender once had a birthday cake pie, which was like a cream pie topped with two layers of Funfetti birthday cake. That's spectacular. I I don't know what humanity has wrought with that one. I don't either, but we all knew it was bound to happen. I feel like it's one of those things that, like, bearing witness to it in person, like, you, you just, you're just instantly go insane. It's like Cthulhu. You're just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Your mind cannot it process. It just breaks. Yeah. Yes. And then you start putting handfuls of it in your <laughs> mouth, rubbing it on your face. <laughs> that does sound like a horror movie waiting to happen. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, the flavor of birthday cake seems to be vanilla, cream, and a little bit of berry. And according to data from Nielsen, um, birthday cake-flavored stuff saw a sales increase of over 29% between 2017 and 2018. 
This trend is not dead, folks. No, not at all. One, Rachel Sugar. Perfect. Perfect name. I know. Um, writing for Vox said, Birthday cake as a flavor is the simplest kind of birthday cake, cheerfully uncomplicated, the primary colors of cake. Birthday cake is basic, and it is pretty. And in an ironic twist of anti-aging, it reminds us all of when we were basic and pretty, too. Wise words. <laughs> Wise words. <laughs> uh, there is a place in, I, as I've mentioned before, I come from a very small um, hometown. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a lot in the way of drinking options. Like, you could go to a restaurant mm-hmm. and get beer, but there was one place you could go that was sort of, no, there's more than one, but there was one place <laughs> that we did go. Uh-huh. Um, and on your birthday, you got a free birthday cake shot. Oh, no. And it came with, like, candle, and it was a whole thing. Did and, it involve whipped cream? Mm, yeah, I think so. Oh, geez. They were very nice. But, I mean, you don't want to do more than one birthday cake shot. Well, it's good that your birthday is only once a year. (laughs) Yes, that is the allotted amount of birthday cake (laughs) shots the body can handle (laughs) only once a year. (laughs) Um, If we look at numbers, they're kind of hard to nail down because there is so much cake happening. Sure. But in 2016, over 60 million more Americans used a box cake mix as opposed to making one from scratch. And a lot of people report a feeling that, quote, it doesn't count if you make it with a box. I disagree, but I understand the feeling. Oh, I absolutely disagree. Yeah. I mean, I disagree specifically because the only time I ever made a layer cake from scratch, I spent all day doing it. And it was just exactly as good as one that I could have gotten from, like, Publix or Kroger. And I was like, well, first and last time for that. One and done, as they say. Mm-hmm. But the story of the cake is not done. No. We have some history for you coming up. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. 
And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And we're back with some history of cake, mostly birthday cake. There's a lot of cake history out there. Oh, my goodness, yes. We dip into a bit of it here and there, but we tried to centralize. We generally do. (laughs) Sometimes we're successful, other times we're not. But, all right, the cake is largely associated with celebrations and especially Birthdays, And this association goes all the way back to ancient Egypt, where the huge deal that was the celebratory crowning ceremony, a.k.a. their birth as a god of the pharaoh. Um, And it was such a big deal that the celebration was widely adopted. I mean, if I saw a big party, I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll do that, too. (laughs) Um, Though this did not necessarily include cake. The Bible references a birthday celebration for a pharaoh dating back to 3000 BCE. Again, probably their birth as a god. Not not their actual date of birth. Yes. The ancient Greeks took this practice and added dessert. This dessert was typically a baked full moon-shaped cake in honor of the goddess Artemis, who is the goddess of the moon, among, you know, other things. Sure. To make the cakes glow like a moon would— Candles were lit and put on the cakes. Ah. But backing up a step, the ancient Romans were the first to make birthday cakes. They just kind of did it on the DL. <laughs> These cakes were made of a mixture of yeast, flour, honey, and nuts and were at first reserved for weddings and maybe the 50th birthday of a famous dude. Ah. Uh, supposedly, Emperor Hadrian would send cakes to birthday party invitees who couldn't make it. Oh, I like that. I know it's a power move, but I like it. <laughs> 
All right, if I'm getting cake. Yeah. Hey. I'll take I'll take it. Going off of that, sort of, for a long time, Christians considered birthday celebrations a thing for pagans and thus evil. At least they did it first. But sometime around the 4th century CE, Christians did an about-face and started celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons behind this was the hope that people already celebrating the Roman tradition of Saturnalia would sort of transition to Christmas. Yeah. Women's birthdays weren't really a thing most Europeans celebrated until the 12th century. Lots of societies didn't keep birth records for anyone except for royalty until, like, yeah, like the Middle Ages or thereabouts. Uh, The Greeks did, but they had those priorities, like mostly old dudes. But by around this time, around the Middle Ages, uh, Catholics were keeping birth records, and it was also common to name a child for a patron saint. So instead of a birthday, you would basically celebrate your name day. And I don't know what they mean by that in Game of Thrones, but uh, but historically, a name day was when you'd have a party on the day um, that your saint was celebrated. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is still traditional in some Catholic communities. Huh. China also had a birthday celebration specifically for a child's first birthday. If we look at the less ancient and more modern birthday celebrations, complete with cake, we need to look at Germany's Kinderfest, a 15th century celebration held for children. The morning of a child's birthday, the birthday kid would get a cake with a number of candles equaling their age, plus one. The plus one representing the hope that the coming year would be healthy. The light of life, as it was called. The candles, or specifically the smoke from them, were meant to bring your wishes up to God. However, it was a test of endurance because (laughs) no one was to enjoy the cake until dinner. Ah, cruel fate. Like they would replace the candles all day as they burnt down. Um, The the idea of Kinderfest was that on their birthday, a child was more susceptible to evil spirits. So the party was partially like a form of protection. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. If the child in question made it through the day, (laughs) just imagine you'd be smelling it. Ugh. Oh, I, I would be. I mean, that's me. Um, they would then attempt to blow out the candles in one breath while making a wish. And if they were successful, their wish would come true. As today, you were not meant to share that wish. You couldn't tell anyone. Oh. Or it, would, or it won't come true. No. Yeah. We all know that as fact. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Huh. Perhaps this was the case, or perhaps it was this, or perhaps it was both because there's a lot of history going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. You would find birthday cakes shaped like the baby Jesus, and this was more a celebration of him than you. And side note, before Christmas this year, I drove past a church marquee that said, it's not your birthday. And I was like, you don't know me, sign. (laughs) It It could could be. They don't know. It's not reserved for... We can share birthdays. We can. Lots of people do. I think that's a whole math problem. Yeah. See? Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Okay. In 1746, he had an epic birthday feast and festival, complete with cake and candles. Quote, there was a cake as large as any oven could be found to bake it, and holes made in the cake according to the years of the person's age, everyone having a candle stuck into it, and one in the middle. I guess. Cool. Sounds pretty epic. Yeah. yeah, sure. When England picked up the tradition, they added symbolic objects baked within the cake. Coins and thimbles were a typical thing. The coin was lucky and represented wealth. The thimble, meanwhile, meant you would never marry. Oh, so I guess you didn't want that one. Dang. I mean, that's a crappy party favor. Uh, yeah. 
Mm. Anyway. Apparently, even today, cakes are baked with fake coins and candies in the UK. And listeners, please write in to confirm or deny. Uh Uh-huh. But until the Industrial Revolution, the birthday cake wasn't accessible to most people. And that's because the ingredients were cost prohibitive. Also, the Industrial Revolution is when modern leavening agents like baking soda and baking powder were invented. Prior to that, you had to physically work the the fluff into baked goods by beating air into uh, eggs or uh, butter and sugar. Many cakes prior to this would have been uh, denser than what we think of today, more like a pound cake or fruit cake kind of situation. And also, this is when home kitchens started to have ovens. And the middle class was expanding. All of this. Ovens do help. They, Mm -hmm. They do. Just cooking a cake on an open fire is not fun. No, I can't imagine it would be. And you don't have to take my word for it. I uh, was on a lovely tour at the Atlanta Historical Society one time. And, uh, and yeah, the nice lady in their kitchen was baking a cake from scratch. And just I was just like, oh, dude. And she was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I have enough trouble. My oven is particular. <laughs> but I have enough trouble with an oven. So, yeah. Hmm. If we look at um, more candle traditions or beliefs, in the South, the number of candles left lit after you attempt to blow them out with your first breath represents the number of years till you marry. I assume if you're single. Oh. Ooh, twist. Or, oh, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's a recipe supposedly from Texas from 1851 for a little girl's birthday cake made from cornmeal dust, honey, a wild turkey egg, Buttermilk, butter, and soda. Cornmeal dust. Yeah. I don't use that too frequently in my cooking. (laughs) The recipe specifically called for, like, if you take cornmeal and you put it in a sack and then you transfer it to another sack, you, like, shake out the dust remaining Uh and keep doing that until you have, like, two cups of cornmeal dust. That sounds like when I don't have any cake flour, but you know you can make cake oh, flour. Oh, yeah. By but you have to, like, sift it five times, and yeah. I do it once, and then I'm like, no. No more. That That's enough. That's that about- better be cake flour. <laughs> that's fine. None of my baked goods turn out exactly like I want them to. Can't imagine. Eh. 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 So by the late 1800s, birthday cakes were fluffy, layered, filled, and frosted, and many were decorated with writing like a many happy returns of the day, along with the uh, birthday human's name. In 1893, we get a little song called Good Morning to All, written by Patty Hill and Mildred J. Hill. Its original purpose was sort of a pre-class warm-up song. It quickly spread across the states. In 1924, one Robert Coleman published a book including the song, but with different lyrics. Happy birthday to you. The phrase happy birthday didn't start appearing written on cakes until after that song became popular. Huh. And it's finally in the public domain. It is. Yeah, we could sing it right now if that wouldn't be super obnoxious. I was getting, I was (laughs) revving up. (laughs) Lauren, shut me down. You can thank Lauren for that, listeners. In 1906, the science journal Nature published a letter suggesting a superior way to cut round cakes, assuming that there's going to be leftovers. He was talking about Christmas cakes in particular, but I had to include this. Okay, so rather than taking wedges out which leaves a large surface area of the interior exposed to the elements to drying out, the writer recommended essentially halving the cake into two semicircles and then taking a slice right from the center, like all the way across the cake, like a big rectangle Mm -hmm. right out of the center, like a cross-section, yeah? And then to store it, you just push the semicircles together, and then you don't leave any edges. 
to dry out. That's cool. Right? Well, I'm going to show that off next time (laughs) I have a cake for somebody. (laughs) We have even more cake history for you. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
we're back. Thank you, Spencer. Yes, thank you. But what about box cake? Box we must ask. cake mix, yes. Yes. Well, in the United States, it really took off post-World War II. But it was around in the 1930s, thanks in particular to a surplus of molasses. Ah. In December of 1930, the company P. Duff & Sons applied for a patent for an, quote, invention that relates to a dehydrated flour for use in making pastry products and to a process of making the same. They were really trying to make use of molasses, and this was a way to dry it out and add it to flour mix. Ah. The recipe called for 100 pounds of flour and 100 pounds of molasses for this, this thing that they were patenting. Um, so it did not skimp on any of this. And from this, the company got the idea to patent this method when it came to cake and cake mixes. From the patent, quote, In the ordinary preparation of pastry products, there are a large and varied number of ingredients which must be used, which means keeping a complete stock of materials on hand. This is not only expensive and inconvenient, but necessitates careful measurements and mixing and, therefore, the provision of suitable apparatus, therefore. In addition to the above, (laughs) unsatisfactory results or failure occur too frequently, which represent a serious loss of time, of money, of materials, and of energy. The plight of the cake maker. It's true. It is true. No, personal experience. I don't like it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Duff and Sons offered several flavors of boxed baked mixes, like fruitcake, nut bread, and bran muffin, along with devil's food and spice cake. I said boxes, but you actually bought these in a can. <laughs> 21 cents for 14 ounces. In 1933, they submitted another patent for a cake mix that required the baker to add eggs. From Duff, quote, the housewife and the purchasing public in general seem to prefer fresh eggs, and hence the use of dried or powdered eggs is somewhat of a handicap from a psychological standpoint. And the date here is important because it contradicts one of the most important boxed cake myths, that the fresh eggs bit was in response to a focus group by the man who coined the term, Ernest Dichter, who found through his survey that women wanted to feel more involved in baking and thus wanted to add fresh eggs to the mix as opposed to using the powdered kind already incorporated. In the 1950s, Dichter did consult with Betty Crocker, but that was decades after the patent. Huh. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe just reinforced it. Yeah. Yeah. While World War II was going on, flour companies were preparing for the war's end and preparing to sell convenience. And by the end of the 1940s, over 120 companies had a box cake mix they were selling. Of note, at first, Pillsbury used the just-add-water method as opposed to competitors Duncan Hines and Betty Crocker. Pillsbury eventually became a convert, though. To the fresh eggs. Yes. Yeah. However, in a funny look at human psychology, it turns out people were more likely to say they'd buy mixes that required you to buy eggs, but that they were actually more likely to buy mixes that didn't require them to do that. Ooh. I find that very interesting. Oh, humans. (laughs) Either way, boxed cake sales saw a massive slump in the 1950s, putting many companies out of business, or at least they got rid of that particular product. And this... This is when Dichter and a survey about women needing to feel more important to the process by buying fresh eggs came into play. But that might have helped. It's really the icing, which is my least favorite part of cake, by the way, that came to save cake's day. Ah. This allowed for a lot of creativity 
in cake decoration. A prepackaged icing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. A survey conducted in the 1990s um, that found while a majority of women that responded said they almost always bake a cake from scratch, what they actually meant is that they make it using the box mix. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's um, fascinating. I know, I know, I know. For a while, my famous brownie recipe in high school was totally a Duncan Hines <laughs> boxed mix. <laughs> and people would ask me for the recipe, and I'd be like, oh, you know, it's, you know, just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. <laughs> Which wasn't a lie. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that kind of reminds me of aspects and how, like, frosting comes in and it gives you this thing where you can personalize it, put more work into it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. By 1988, Pillsbury had ads for Funfetti-flavored cake. So, hello, Katie. That's one of your favorite flavors. 2012 was the beginning of the birthday flavor cake trend. And then in 2013, a study published in Psychological Sciences found that when people perform rituals before eating, it heightens anticipation and people report the food then tasting better. Uh, Like lighting candles and singing happy birthday before eating cake. Yeah, I can totally see that. I like a good... Like a good ritual, yeah. Yeah, it gets you all excited. Mm -hmm. Mm. We sort of talked about that in our forever ago episode on sugar. Um... How it's you're probably seeing excitement as opposed to like hyper hyperness caused yeah. by sugar. Yeah. You're it's just, it's a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're excited. There's cake. There's cake. Singing. There's probably favors. Yeah. Who knows? Well, back to that listener mail that we read. Um, oh, right. Right. <laughs> I did look into it a little bit. Um, and we have a couple more traditions from around the world briefly. Um, so, yeah, we read this listener mail about the Danish tradition of Kagaman, a humanoid-shaped cake. And after the birthday song is sung, the birthday human then slits the throat of the cake man with a knife while everyone screams. Rad. Uh, you can look up pictures. Um, these cakes can get pretty unsettling, I got to say. Um, and I, I was saying off mic that, for me, a lot of these birthday traditions have taken a turn for the horror because I watch so many horror movies. Um, but please, if someone has, like, video of this, yeah. send it in. Oh, please, yes. Um, yeah, I was looking around, and there's a lot of birthday traditions that uh, don't necessarily involve food. I tried to limit it to the food ones. Um, in Russia, the birthday kid brings candy for their classmates, for all their classmates, uh, on the day of their birth. That's nice. Yeah. Chocolate cake is apparently traditional in Norway. In Australia, I've seen Buttered bread topped with sprinkles yeah. called fairy bread, and that's a birthday thing? I believe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. And my favorite, and I promise it will involve food by the end, um, I read that in Switzerland, parents will hire a clown to tease and torment the birthday child for hours or even days leading up to the party, culminating in the clown putting a pie in the kid's face. They get an actual pie in the face. They get an actual pie in the face from a tormenting clown. And yet, isn't Switzerland one of the happiest countries in the world? That would mess <laughs> me up. <laughs> my my older brother, when I was four, he had a uh, Batman-themed party. Okay. And there was somebody there dressed as a joker, like a professional oh, actor. And I wasn't allowed that's... to go to his birthday party because, you know, I'm a young sister and he doesn't want oh, me there. Oh. But of course I went anyway. <laughs> and... um. 
there's, I believe, video exists of the Joker clown getting in my face and laughing and saying, like, well, little girl. And I pushed him into the pool. (laughs) And then I was grounded. (laughs) Don't laugh in my face, clown. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You you said you were four? Mm -hmm. That's so amazing. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It's really funny, too, because in the video, it it looks as though I'm just, like, not even listening because he was kind of oh, sure. to the side. Uh-huh. And I just suddenly <laughs> struck out and <laughs> pushed him. Okay. Um, I'm so glad that there's video of this. Yeah. Would we need to find, like, a VHS player? We would, yeah. Okay. Old school. I'm working on it. Sorry, older brother, if you happen to be listening. You were right to not invite me. (laughs) All of these traditions are great. We would love to hear from any listeners around the world if you have these kind of birthday traditions. Yeah, yeah. Anything involving clowns, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Clown um, cake. The eviler, the better. Yes. Um, Any particular traditions to you and your family or, yeah, just from your global neck of the woods. Yes. And this about brings us to the end of this episode and to... Listener mail! Yeah. Yeah. Chelsea wrote, While listening to you speak on the evolution of the refrigerator, it reminded me of a food my grandmother used to make when I was growing up. Tomato aspic. I still remember my horrifying first taste. This red jello imposture was beyond my ability to comprehend, and my mother later had to explain to me that on my grandmother's day, having a dish like tomato aspic at parties demonstrated your financial status. Of course, I have listened to your episode on aspects, but found a fun tie-in to the icebox and the eventual refrigerator. Ooh, tomato aspect. Oh, yeah. If you're not expecting it, whoo, huh, that's got to be shocking. It does. Now, that would be a birthday prank. <laughs> oh, ooh. That, oh. Oh, man. You could do that with, like, a red velvet cake. You could make, like, a tomato cake. Oh, my gosh. Oh, jeez. Okay. Um, Genevieve wrote... I was just catching up on your Thanksgiving episode, and I heard your call for input on big holiday meals. In our house, it's Christmas rather than Thanksgiving for which we go all in. It ends up being a multi-day exercise in gastronomic revelry. We begin by having ribs on Christmas Adam, as in the day before Christmas Eve. Then we get to the main event, the Christmas Eve smorgasbord. I got this idea partly from the scene near the end of Signs when Mel Gibson tells his family to each pick whatever they want for dinner, and partly from the fact that I was very pregnant three Christmas Eves ago and thus was craving everything. What happens is that I gather input from everyone who will be in our house on Christmas Eve about what they'd like to eat for dinner that night, no matter what it is, and then I cook all of it. No matter how incongruous the dishes, they end up on the table together. For example, this year, we had grilled steak and vegetable skewers, shrimp cocktail, beef ramen, Philly cheesesteak stuffed peppers, and garlic parmesan chicken wings. It was a million small bites of many different things that I like rather than one huge dish of one delicious thing, and it was perfect. That sounds amazing. That does sound amazing. Oh, man. What an assortment, too. I love it. Right? You kind of get a (laughs) a peek into someone's current state of mind by what they requested. Oh, That's beautiful. Props to whoever ordered the ramen. I love that. (laughs) I like the shrimp cocktail. (laughs) Uh, Well, thanks to both of them for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saberpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at saberpod. 
We hope to hear from you. Thank you so much to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thank you to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.